Well, good morning, church. If you would, please open your Bibles with me to the book of Mark this morning, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, as we continue a series that we started a couple of weeks ago, called B.A. and Beyond. We are studying the biblical mission of our church. And if we're not careful, we'll just remind ourselves, well, you know, what is it that we're supposed to do? Now, some churches would kind of take, well, so what's going on down the street? And how is the Lord blessing them? So, okay, well, let's try that. Or some say, you know, what, what's going on in California? Or what's going on in, in Dallas or Nashville or Orlando? No, we must remind ourselves that true biblical mission is centered upon Jesus. It is driven by the Word of God. It is focused thus on the mission of God. And so we have contained our mission by this statement. We say we exist to reach BA and beyond by multiplying disciples to follow Jesus. Now today, I'm going to very, very much passionately remind you that we are here to make disciples, that make disciples, that make disciples to follow Jesus. Who you are leads to what you do. So we're next week from Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to give you 8 to 10 characteristics of a disciple. Today, I'm going to clearly describe to you from Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, what is a disciple. A disciple who is one who repents and believes in the gospel. And I'm going to give you five aspects of biblical repentance this morning. Five aspects of biblical repentance and one glorious Savior to give your life completely to. I'm reminded of this text in Mark chapter 1 verse 14 of historically a moment that took place in England. On April the 14th, 1554, a pastor by the name of Hugh Latimer was condemned by the papal authority and the crown of England for the biblical impetus of the gospel, that you were made by God to live for God. But instead of living for God, we've lived for ourselves and sinned, even the king of England. As a result of that, all life and allegiance must be given to the one true king, Jesus Christ. And consequently, the moment that you place your full faith and trust in him, the riches and spoils of his kingdom are so overwhelmingly and intentionally yours in Christ. You, Latimer, taught that truth and was condemned to die. So him and two other men were burned at the stake in 1555. Historically, if you want more information about this, you can look it up under the Oxford Martyrs. But right in the epicenter of town, right before they were about to be burned alive for their faith in Jesus Christ, you, Latimer, said these words with every being in his heart. Men and women of God, take heart, for it shall by this day not extinguish a candle, but light a candle. I pray that by God's grace in all of England, that no man will ever put out. And it's my heart that as we continue to define who we are from these scriptures, that the light of Christ would so shine in you as a result of the glorious truth and freedom that comes when you repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ, that no one may put that fire out until Christ comes. So as you shine for Jesus and walk out of here and do life, May we study the true, freeing truths that a disciple repents and believes in the gospel. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now these two verses comprise a summary of Jesus' teaching throughout the entire New Testament. By the time we get to verses 14 and 15, Jesus has already been baptized in verses 9 through 11. He has conquered the dominion and temptation of Satan in verses 12 through 13. And historically, the Bible says in John 1 through 3 that he is ministering throughout Judea. Now this is six to nine months after his baptism. Jesus now heads to Galilee. 
He is not making here a suggestion, but rather an announcement that those who truly believe in him as Lord and Savior will repent and believe in the good news of God, or pointedly, good news from God. With that in mind, your Bible says this in verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, Mark tells us, and Mark, like any other gospel, gives you instant Jesus, that he says that the moment Jesus was baptized and he began to minister, the moment that he conquered the dominion and temptation of Satan, he thus now, from ministering in Judea, comes to Galilee. It is amazing to me, Jesus' investment in the region of Galilee. In fact, did you realize that 11 of the 12 disciples were raised in Galilee? Jesus began his public ministry in Galilee. The greatest sermon ever given, the Sermon on the Mount, arguably the most profound content that we have ever been exposed to, was given on a hillside by the Sea of Galilee, according to Matthew chapter 5 and 7. Of the 32 parables listed in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 19 of them were given or taught in Galilee. Of the 35 miracles listed in the Gospels, 25 of them were performed in Galilee. The Great Commission, which is not a suggestion that you and I are to live our lives for, how we can fulfill the purpose of God, the submission of God through our lives, was given on a mountain in Galilee in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Here's my point. Jesus, in like manner, has saved you to work through you where he has you. There is a reason why God has placed you in God's country here in Oklahoma. There's a reason why you have the address you have, the job you have, the neighbors you have, the family you have. There's a reason why. It's because God has saved you to work through you where he has you. So as we continue to reach BA and beyond, to expand and extend current ministries, to start new ministries, to fulfill mission, how in the world can we continue to equip and empower you to be who God has already said and saved you? to be. A disciple repents and believes in the gospel. How can we then live out this gospel, invest in BA and beyond? Now, spiritually, it it comes with an ardent desire to be people of prayer, to understand that, that prayer isn't a contingency. It's a way of life. We are to be praying for our church. We're to be praying for our neighbors. We're to be praying for our schools. We're to be praying for our hearts to shine and to make an impact for Christ. We're also then one of desiring to partner with you. As you've been saved by Christ, you've been given gifts for Christ. And so what is it that you love to do? What is it that you're passionate about? What is it that you find that sweet spot of ministry and life? And how can you display those gifts inside and outside of our church? In fact, through COVID, we started an entire new ministry based upon that sole intent. It's called Next Steps. Our sole desire is for you to take a next step with Jesus, and that's for Jesus, inside our church and outside our church. Now, for some of us in this room, for you, it's salvation today. I mean, we praise God for seven salvations last week. We expect someone to accept Christ every week here. That is the minimal expectation of sharing the gospel. 
So in light of that, as you hear this good news from God, it's not about you, but it sure is for you. And if you will give your life completely to Jesus Christ, I can assure you, as someone who has known the Lord for over 30 years, he will exponentially transform your life from the inside out. Renewed blessings and mercies every single day. Brothers, in this room, it's baptism. It's showing and demonstrating to the world on the outside what Jesus Christ has done on the inside. You have no idea the stories that God has used and has displayed through the years in this church. Freedom of addiction, freedom of bondage of any kind of sin imaginable, marriages that were headed one way that were immediately saved by Christ. I mean, those who, who were literally a moment away from taking their lives and then, boom, accepted eternal life in Jesus Christ. In fact, as we move forward together, we're expanding our ministries here digitally to begin to tell the stories of what God has done and then celebrate them together among the thousands in baptism. For some of you today, it's taking a next step of baptism. Overwhelmingly in this room, it's opportunities to serve and to use those gifts. Look, not forever or until the Lord comes, but it is for now. So what is it that God has gifted you to do? What is it that you have a passion in your heart to do for him? And how can we in that sweet spot of life plug you into a ministry that can truly change someone else's life for Christ? If that's you and you're ready today, just grab out your phone right now. Text the word TEAM to 45776. And our Next Steps teams will begin to reach out to you right now about what that looks like in our church. How in the world do we invest in BM Beyond? Through prayer, yes. Through serving and displaying the gifts that God has given us. But also, Jesus says, by living out the gospel. Jesus would never ask you to do that something he hasn't already done. The Bible says in verse 14, and he came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Now Mark is the first New Testament author to connect the gospel with Jesus. That's why, you know, many people, your favorite gospel isn't Mark. Some of you love Matthew, and I mean, who can blame you with a name like that? But anyway, some of you like Luke because you're kind of history buffs and those sorts of things. Some of you are, you know, theologians, and you love that synergy of truth and theology from John. Mark gives you instant Jesus. And he says that our king is proclaiming the gospel of God. In fact, did you realize that 40% of all verses of Jesus in Mark, he is preaching the gospel. 60 separate times in the gospel, Jesus is characterized as a teacher. God truly did have one son, and he was a preacher. You want to know why? Because Jesus is our message and messenger. This word proclaim here speaks of one who preaches boldly to herald a king, is his point. In fact, this word was used in the Old Testament to announce submission to God and his reign alone. In the New Testament, it consisted of one teaching on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, did you realize that every sermon in the book of Acts talks about the resurrection of Jesus? That Jesus was boldly proclaiming heralding the gospel of God, pointedly the good news from God is Mark's intent. This word gospel is of a word euangelion. It's mentioned 54 separate times in the New Testament. 
It has a profound Old Testament heritage. It describes someone in the Old Testament of having good or successful or victorious reports from the battlefield. So you and I both know in the Old Testament and antiquity, they didn't have the media that we have today. And so they would have messengers, euangelians, good newsers who would go and report the news of the battlefield. And then they would go to these towns and say, we've won, victory is ours. It wasn't until Isaiah chapter 52 verse 7 that the Old Testament writers inspired by the Holy Spirit used this word euangelion to announce God's saving act of salvation to his people through his son. And that is why the New Testament writers took this imagery of good news, victory for all, and then applied it to Jesus Christ. And that is why in the New Testament, euangelion reveals the eternal saving action of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Religion can give you advice, but only a relationship with Jesus can give you eternal life. Not just life, but life abundantly. Because Jesus is the gospel. Jesus, as fully God, became a man. Not in diminishing his divinity, but adding his humanity. He lived an obedient, fruitful life for God without sin. He died a death that we deserved. And thus, as our substitute, paid the full wrath of God and recompense for our sins. For the wages of sin is death. All of its effects, consequently then, the moment we place our full faith and trust in Jesus Christ, sin's power and sin's penalty is removed. And thus, you and I can live out an abundant life now and forever with God through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus changes everything in us, personally, totally, and eternally. And it's this agenda, this idea, that sets the foundation for verse 15. And saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time has come, Jesus says. He's speaking here of a kind of time. The impetus is grammatically, it's now, right now. The kingdom of God is the central message of Jesus in the gospel of Mark. It appears 13 separate times. It's a dynamic concept that takes this initial shape in Israel's concept of God's reign as king. As creator, God reigns over his creation, and his demands are articulated by his word and through his son. Jesus says to an audience who would have known that, that God's true king is here, and his reign begins right Paul so eloquently says in Galatians 4, 4, and in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son. At the exact right time in God's calendar, Jesus Christ came to free 
his people. The kingdom of God is at hand in really three primary ways. Number one, spiritually, kind of an almost now but not yet. When you repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ, you become a part of God's kingdom now and forever. You are immediately have gone from a slave to sin to a son and daughter of the king. Now, historically, there will be a millennial kingdom that will come. A literal kingdom on earth for a thousand years in which all millennial prophecies of the Old Testament will be fulfilled by Jesus. In fact, you can read of this in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. There will ultimately be an eternal kingdom, an everlasting kingdom, a new heaven and a new earth where Christ will reign forever and ever. With this in mind, Jesus says, and the kingdom of God is at hand. You were made by God to display the reign and greatness of God by giving your life to his king. It is a kingdom that can be experienced in fullness one day. But in realness today, as you display on the outside that Jesus Christ is Lord from the inside. One does that, Jesus says, when they repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance is the primary response to the message of the prophets of the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament. It is amazing to me that the first demand of Jesus' public ministry was for all to repent and believe in him. Yet how many times, very few, have you ever heard biblically what repentance is? What does it mean to truly repent and believe in the gospel? And I want to, to that point, give you five aspects of biblical repentance. The word repentance derives from two words, meta and nous. The first word, meta, speaks of a radical change, to move in the opposite direction, to turn around one's life. It's kind of like, you know, when I get to the dinner table and, you know, we're sitting there and we got, ooh, we got some good protein here. And I know what's desserts coming in the freezer and then Bryn just puts a bunch of vegetables on the table. Nope, radical change. Turn, move in the opposite direction. That's the point. Secondly, it also speaks of your mind, noose, to understand, to change one's mind, to effectually change your life. It's not simply here intellectual belief, but wholeheartedly choosing to live and obey and to follow Jesus Christ as the way of life. It speaks to a priority, a trajectory of one's life from you changing your mind. I'm no longer living for myself. I'm no longer king. Jesus is king. And as a result, my life is never the same. We lost an incredible mind for the Lord this week. Uh, I don't know if you heard, but J.I. Packer went to be with the Lord. 
He wrote such wondrous books throughout the years of knowing God. Many of you, that was a turning point in your life, in college, or in your devotional life with the Lord. He wrote Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. He wrote Grounded in the Gospel. But J.I. Packer says of repentance, repentance is not just knowing what to do or being mournful or remorseful for your actions, but totally turning and completely changing. And he's right. It's with this in mind that I want to give you five aspects of repentance. Number one, it's my fault, not anybody else's. Biblical repentance is a cognitive understanding that sin is wrong. It's an offense to a holy God. Repentance admits that we are solely responsible for the action of our sin. It's not our upbringing. It's not our house. It's not our history. It's not our struggles. It's not our friends. No, it's, it's us. We acknowledge the action of our sin and then turn to God solely for the remedy of our sin. Repentance is an acknowledgement of wrong. Taking ownership of your sin is a sign that your sin no longer owns you. Biblical repentance then says, it's my fault, not anybody else's. True freedom in that statement. Secondly, I'm sorry I violated God's righteousness, not that I got caught. Biblical repentance is an affirmation of the Bible, that sin is a direct violation of God's righteousness and should bring an overwhelming sense of godly sorrow. You want to know why? Think about this. True repentance is about transformation from restoration. Did you hear that? You see, the moment you place your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ... The Bible says instantly a supernatural work begins. You are instantly given a new heart. So much so that you are a completely new person from the inside out. God then empowers his word to inspire your mind to choose who you place your full faith and trust in. Jesus Christ. He's not just a carpenter from Nazareth. He's just not a wise soothsayer. He's king. He's Lord. And so as you live out for him, he changes your heart and your mind and thus your desires. I mean, what brought you pleasure before doesn't anymore to the same degree. What you used to do for, for fun, to feel free, is now what actually enslaves You're a new person. You're a new creation. True repentance is about transformation from restoration. A relationship that was severed because of sin is now fully restored because of Jesus. And now as you begin to live for him, it takes step after step after step in abiding in him. So much so that you will intentionally abandon your sin once and for all. In fact, thirdly, biblical repentance is in, in the power of the Holy Spirit, I will never do this again. Biblical repentance is not merely confessional, but a humble determination to abandon sin once 
and for all through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not, well, Lord, you caught me Ah, again, and I'm sorry, but I'm going to do this again, and you know it. No, it is a genuine understanding that we have wronged the one true love of our lives. And as we desire to love him most, as we stumble in our sin occasionally, it's, no, Lord, I'm sorry I've wronged you. Allow me to run to you. Fill my life with your power from your word. Allow me, God, to continually cling and choose you. No one can have new life from Christ until they have released their old life from Christ. True biblical repentance is in the power of the Holy Spirit. I will never do this again. Fourthly, true biblical repentance then is not perfection, but a decisive action to choose God's way in your life. Biblical repentance does not immune us from future sin, but is a progressive attitude of our hearts. Furthermore, repentance is not then just a one-time act, but a decision-to-decision lifestyle. C.H. Spurgeon said it well when he said, Sin and hell are married unless repentance proclaims divorce once and for all. And he's right. We have such love for Christ that it's demonstrated by a new life for Christ. And it comes knowing that no, we will not be perfect, but we will be decisive in our actions to choose God's way over our own. Ben and I this week, by God's grace, celebrated 16 years of marriage. And it's been the best 16 years of my life. It's, it's been a decision that, that has impacted my life besides saving Christ. No other decision has effectively changed my life more than choosing to love Brenda for the rest of my life. And we were engaged at First Baptist Church of Ada, Oklahoma. We were going to college there and the Lord was calling me to ministry and we were active in First Baptist Church of Ada, and we knew God was going to, to lead us prayerfully by God's grace for the rest of our lives to, to lead incredible churches and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so I wanted to, in our college church, in a church that meant so much to us, in a work that God had called us to, I wanted to ask Brent to marry me in that church. And so we're so gracious and kind. The ministers allowed that. And I remember that night that there were many things that you hear throughout the years that were shared, but As we began to conclude, after she said yes, by God's grace, I looked her in the eye and and said, Bryn, I will never leave you. I will never, by God's grace, stop loving you. You can cheat on me. You can take from me. You can do anything possible. But I will never, ever leave you. And for the rest of my life, I pledge before God, our King, and you, that I will love you every day of my life. And then we kind of awkwardly laughed and embraced one another. And the freedom and the goodness of God through such a declaration has empowered and sustained us through so many blessings and trials in life. In like manner, 
God through you desires to do the same. When you humbly come before him and say, I will love you most. And what that looks like, help me through your scriptures, through encouragement of your church, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Biblical repentance is not perfection, but a decisive action to choose God's way in your life. Which then means, finally, that it's always evident in one's life. Biblical repentance guarantees new life in Christ and thus will always be a part of a faithful life for Christ. There is an answer for the power and penalty of our sin. It comes when we change our mind to change our life through Jesus Christ. And that is why at the end of verse 15, Jesus says when one repents and believes in the gospel. This word belief here is to live as true. It appears frequently in Mark and assumes the responsibility of one's total repentance and surrender to God. Repentance is what you turn from, and belief is who you turn toward in your life. Jesus, as God's king, has come not just to conquer Satan, but to deliver his people from their sins. Thus, true repentance is faith that Jesus is enough. The gospel is not a suggestion then. It is not advice on what you can do for God, but an announcement what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. And as you walk out of here and do life, be encouraged that the gospel is not the ABC toward God, but rather the A through Z of your life for God. That with every day, that with every decision, you and I affirm repenting and believing in the gospel. We choose to change our mind, to turn from things, so we can run toward Jesus Christ, now and forever, in BA and beyond. Let your light shine before men that they may glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 16, May it be said of us, as a disciple repents and believes in the gospel. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Every head bowed with every eye closed. Perhaps you hear this morning the truths of the gospel the gospel from God, that you were made by God to live for God. But instead of living for God, we've lived for ourselves. We've gone our own way. We've sought what's best for us and our loved ones through any means possible. And we've all done that, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
But the gospel starts with God and ends with God because it's about God. However, be encouraged, it's for you. And so a God who is for you knew it was impossible for you to ever get to him. And so he came for you through his son, Jesus Christ. And if you will repent and believe in the gospel, if you will change your mind to change your life, if you will place your soul, faith, and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says you shall be saved right now. Perhaps you're watching online and you're ready to do that right now. Would you just type Jesus in the comments section? J-E-S-U-S. We have a staff member available who's ready to meet with you right now. If you're here among this group or watching online, and hey, grab out your phone, type Jesus, text Jesus to 45776. We have a team member available right now. For those in this room, you desire a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you just raise your hand right now? I'm ready to give my life completely to Jesus Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just raise your hand right now, straight up. I want to give my life to Christ. I think for those of you who know the Lord, has God placed someone on your heart that needs Him? Can you pray for that person right now? Write their name down. Write a day this week. You're going to call them. You're going to text them. You're going to take them out to coffee. Write it down right now. God, we give all of these things to you. Lord, we, we celebrate you. God, we thank you for the good news that is about you and from you for us. God, as we walk out of here, disciples, earnestly desiring to make thousands and thousands of more disciples. Our Father, remind us of who we are and thus what we do. We are people who repent and believe in the gospel. Not just in one moment of our lives, but in all aspects of our lives for you. We love you, our King, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.